0: Kroger, fresh for everyone, fuel restrictions apply. The most important conversation I ever had as a coach was after I looked in the mirror and realized the person staring back at me was the one responsible for making things better. And when I began to focus on changing me and took responsibility for the impact I was having on the organization and the culture and the program relationships, we as a team got a whole lot better.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Our guest today is Sean Glaze. Sean is an author and a leadership expert. Sean believes that staying coachable is extremely important, especially for leaders who want to continue to get better and have better results. Today we talk about the number one thing you need to grow and develop as a leader. Five key elements you need for a great culture, miss one and you might have problems, and how to hold employees accountable without watching every step they take. If you want to build a stronger team, Sean is the guy to listen to. Let's start the conversation. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today?
0: I am fantastic, Tyler. Looking forward to sharing some helpful nuggets with your audience.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited too. So, hey, what I usually like to start with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
0: Yeah, I actually help make leaders more effective. I've worked with leaders in virtually every industry you can think about to become better leaders and to build more positive and profitable team cultures.
1: Such an important thing. Before I get into peppering you with questions, <laughs> I do want to talk about like what got you to being a great leader. Like, How did you realize, one, your skill for, for doing this, and then two, just why it was needed?
0: Yeah, well, I started off like most leaders, making a whole lot of mistakes and stepping in a whole lot of potholes. And my background, Tyler, is actually as a high school basketball coach. So wow. it was two decades leading teams. And what gave me the benefit of growing is every single season, you've got a new team to either corrupt or hopefully to develop. And I got a little bit better at developing and less corrupting as we got further and further into my career. And, and one of the things that I learned through those different iterations of building cultures and recognizing what was wrong and what I needed to do differently is I eventually got to a point where I felt comfortable and then recognize that, you know, the same stuff that's affecting our locker room as a team is affecting conference rooms and sales rooms and classrooms and, and and organizations because teams are teams. They're actually going through and experiencing a lot of the same issues. And if I'm actually discovering some things that work with my group and building my culture, I thought it would be helpful to uh, be able to share that with others.
1: Yeah, it's amazing to me how team sports do have a lot of parallels to the workforce in terms of building teams. Do you find like what what are some big challenges you had as you were developing your own leadership skills and building your own teams? Basketball in particular, a lot of times you'll have people, you know, players that are really high scorers or maybe some people might call them ball hogs and that can really make one person dominant to the team. How do you leverage that? Because I think that does correlate to some degree into the workforce.
0: Well, yeah, and, and it's not just basketball. It absolutely is relevant to business. Everything that I'll be sharing with your listeners today is something that they're going to be able to put in their back pocket and apply, whether it's, you know, they're looking in the mirror at the only employee they have, or they got a group of five or 50 or 500. And ultimately, I think the number one thing that I learned early on is it's really important to stay coachable. That's actually the the last book that I just published, but it's a huge thing because I think we all start off coachable and we reach whatever level of success that we're at because we've been coachable, but at some point we kind of get complacent. And I actually, as a leader, I'd gotten to a point where I felt I was doing a pretty good job, took over my very first head coaching position, and I had some success as an assistant coach and a JV coach with my own JV team. And that very first year, we absolutely face-planted as a team because, again, I thought I was good enough and I had stopped being coachable. And I think that that's the first thing that any leader needs to do is the most important conversation I ever had as a coach was after I looked in the mirror and realized the person staring back at me was the one responsible for making things better. And when I began to focus on changing me and took responsibility for the impact I was having on the organization and the culture and the program relationships, we as a team got a whole lot better.
1: Yeah. In my audience, we talk to mostly business owners and I'm I'm fascinated by when you say stage coachable. You know, I typically have two types of clients. The vast majority of clients that come to me that are business owners are very coachable. They're ready, like they're ready for change, they're ready for transformation, they're ready to feel a different direction because they know some things they're doing now aren't working. But then you get that element of people that really, frankly, aren't coachable. They're they just are bullheaded in, in their way or the highway type mentality. Is there any way to overcome with those people? Or what's your thoughts on that? Or is it just their not coachable?
0: Well, I can tell you what it's not. You are not going to be successful making people more coachable by telling them what they need to do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that I learned the hard way because years and years of command and control leadership with me and my athletes ended up resulting in a whole lot more annoyance and resistance than it did in actually appreciation and action. And one of the things that, that I talk about when we talk about you know, change and change management and helping people to be more coachable is it's not about commands. It's all about curiosity and connection. And can you ask questions that are going to lead people to come to the understanding that maybe you outside their jar can already see on their label what they need. And I think that that's something that, can you identify, you know, what is it they really want? Can you identify clearly where they are and what their numbers are without excuse? Can you identify once that gap is established, you know, what they need to improve, where they need to be humble. And then can you actually identify the habits they need to change to be able to take action and do that? So I think that's one of the most important things. But the idea of you helping somebody stay coachable, I say that's basically two parts to that. The first is you want to be better and everybody will say they want to be better.
1: Right, right. (laughs) So true.
0: The second part, which is, are you willing to change? And there's a whole lot fewer hands that go up when you ask if they're willing to change because people get comfortable doing what they've always done. And it's tough to get better doing only what you know. It's only when we're a little bit more humble and really appreciative and asking for advice and accepting it and, and applying it that we really begin to improve.
1: Right. A lot of wisdom there. I love how you said, you know, everybody, you get them to raise their hand, even when it comes to money. Hey, who wants to make more money? Everybody will raise their hand. But when it comes down to what it really takes maybe to make more money, whether it be more effort or more time or building a more... Cohesive strategy, whatever it may be. A lot of times, people really don't want to go that extra mile. Is the reality, and it's true. I think in personal development or, or growing as a leader, I think sometimes we we all want to. It's just we don't always want to do what it takes to do it. So that's really good stuff. Now, another thing that resonated with me is you mentioned the command part of being a leader. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when I started to grow my second business, I took a very authoritative type style. I thought that would be the way I would. Do it, you know. It's yeah. You're going to do what I say, and it created this very toxic culture. And uh, I had a mentor take me aside, and you know, I'm a, I'm hard headed, to be honest with you. And so it took him multiple times to soak in for me before it clicked one day. And with exactly what you're saying is just like being able to see a different side of it, and that style wasn't getting me anywhere. And once it clicks, you you can, I think the, the thing is you can become coachable. You just have to, you have to, to your point, accept it. My mentor didn't tell me to become coachable. He laid some seeds for me. And then at one point I woke up and said, you know what? I need to see it from a different angle. So that's good stuff. I wanted to ask you a question that goes into our next thing. Let's talk about toxic cultures, because I do have clients that come to me occasionally that are in a really bad situation. They have people all going in different directions. What are your thoughts around that? Like what do you do?
0: Whether it is in person or remote or hybrid, absolutely there is the possibility of a culture or a team becoming toxic. And 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 I define a toxic team as one that is unhealthy because it's lacking one of five essential elements. And when I work with leaders, you know, trying to talk to them about what is it that makes a great team? And he used a really cheesy acronym with the word great, but that idea of there's five things that as a leader you really need to recognize the importance of because as leaders, when we first start, we're going to be strong in at least one of those categories because that's why we've been able to find that position of leadership. But those five areas that we need to focus on To be great and to build great cultures is first goals, do you identify, clarify what specifically is it we're here to achieve? What do we need other people around us to actually be able to accomplish? What is that compelling common goal that we're here together to achieve? The second is relationships. Can you build connections strong enough to support the way to truth when you need to have those difficult conversations? The third is expectations. Have you established standards and commitments and how we're going to go about doing things, especially in a hybrid or remote world, those clarifications of expectations and how we're going to communicate and who needs to do what by when, that's going to be really important. Next is accountability. And accountability, when I first started, I thought was, that's discipline and consequences. Right. But really, accountability I've found, Tyler, is more about can you inspire empathy in the people on your team so they care about the goal and they care about the people they're working with enough to realize how what they do has ripple impact on those things that they care about? And so that idea of accountability, I think there's only personal accountability. I can't make you do something you're not going to choose to do, but can I open that door of empathy and make you more aware of the impact of your action or inaction? And then finally, I think this is something that as leaders – we oftentimes take for granted, and that is the importance of thanking our people, of saying you thank you, of showing appreciation and recognition. So here's the issue. When I first started off as a leader, I was really good about goals and expectations. I was very clear in terms of being organized and having a system, and this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. This is the mountain we're climbing. And I was an absolute failure when it came to really emphasizing one-on-one connections and relationships with my team that allowed me to set those goals and to hold them accountable. And there was a whole lot more resistance because there wasn't the relationship. And toxic cultures, to get back to answering your question, I think are those that lack or are falling really, really short in one of those five areas or more.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's right on. I, I do want to dig a little bit on some fun stuff or things that I hear from prospects and clients. One comment I've gotten frequently post-COVID is this perception that people don't want to work as hard nowadays. They they just, they're kind of in cruise control. And, you know, gosh, if I hire people, they just really aren't working that hard. What are your thoughts around that? Uh,
0: I taught for goodness, almost 30 years in high school classrooms. So high school literature, if you, can, if you can keep the attention and engagement of, of 30 teenagers, you can certainly work with 300 people in an auditorium as a speaker. But one of the things that I found is it's not talent, it's not personality, it's not ability that's going to determine oftentimes somebody's success, it's are they engaged? And engagement is kind of like culture. If culture is the behaviors that are repeated in your organization, really simple definition, engagement, the best definition I can give is engagement is how much you care about the results that you're contributing to. The issue is I think sometimes we don't connect the dots for our people. And so they see themselves in this vacuum of sorts where this is what I'm doing and they don't necessarily always understand How what they do does have a ripple impact on others. And if you can connect those dots between them and the something or someone that they care about, the end user, the client, the coworker who's affected by their efforts, I think that inspires again through empathy a little bit more. But it goes back to as a leader, you build some of those connections to a compelling common goal, you know, while we're here and building relationships so they care about the people that they're affecting. And so that idea of people. Aren't working as hard. I think you can absolutely today find people who are working their tails off because they care about what they're contributing to. And if you can find those buttons and make those connections so the people on your team have a connection to what it is they're contributing to, have a connection to the people that they're working with, they become far more engaged. And then you see an increase in that effort.
1: Yeah, I like that. So, you know, one other thing that comes up a lot is, When we talk about the word accountability, sometimes the pushback I'll get is, well, that's micromanaging. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to micromanage. I hear that a lot. Where does that fit into all of this? Like, What are your thoughts around that?
0: Well, I never used to like to work out, but it was really good for me. Right. Although it was uncomfortable in the moment. And I think one of the things that's a real challenge for leaders today is we are absolutely in an environment where having difficult conversations, saying the uncomfortable thing, people are more willing to neglect those conversations and allow them to go unsaid. And so their team development and performance begins to diminish. And I think the most powerful thing that a leader can do after clarifying why we're here and making sure that people are connected and built a relationship so you can have some of those important conversations. Now, you can't hold somebody accountable without clarifying expectations. That's just cruel. Again, to be unclear is to be unkind. You got to make sure they know what's expected before you can have those accountability conversations. Right. But I'm not doing you a service by neglecting to hold you accountable to the things that are going to make you better. As a coach to a player, I'm not helping that player by not correcting their shot technique. I'm just making them a worse player and they're not going to be better or have other opportunities in the future if I don't have those difficult conversations. It's the same way with leaders in their teams or even teammates and their coworkers. Sometimes that difficult conversation, if somebody knows that you care about them and you care about a goal, again, I'm not attacking you but we together need to make sure that we do what we can so I can support you in improving this part of your productivity Because the team needs that. And I think that's a really important question that you can build into your culture, whether it's in-person or hybrid or remote, is what does the team need? Because if the team needs you to be better on this platform or with this system or process or whatever that might be, it might be uncomfortable for you, but we need to have that conversation because if the team needs you to be doing that, that's an area of of emphasis that we need to have that conversation about.
1: Okay. Now, another one I get is, "Hey, I want to be likable. I want to be friendly and I'm talking from like a business owner standpoint. Right. I just don't know how those worlds can exist where I can be likable and friendly but I can get, you know, get my team to do what I need them to do. Any thoughts on that?"
0: Absolutely. <laughs> And if you know Bob Knight or not, Bob Knight is the oh, yeah. coach of Indiana University. He has a lightning rod of criticism and, you know, kind of you know, fans on both sides of the aisle in terms of liking his methods or his personality or not. But something that Bob Knight said that as a young coach really resonated with me is he said, if you're going to be a coach, if you're going to be a leader in any industry, there is a huge difference between being liked and being respected. And he said, if you focus on just being liked, a lot of times you're going to lose respect. But if you focus on being respected, your team's going to perform far, far better. And even though they might not like you sometimes, they're going to respect the fact that you're willing to make a tough decision, you're willing to have a difficult conversation, that you do have high standards. And here's something that I ask every leader that I've ever worked with in terms of coaching or preparing for an event with your group. You know, Think back to school, think back if you played athletics, if you had a teacher, if you've had a manager in the past, the ones you're most grateful for, were they the ones that were amoebas without a backbone? Were they the ones that allowed you to get along with stuff because they wanted to be liked? Or are they the ones that had high standards and encouraged and supported you to meet those and you knew that, yeah, it was harder to work with those people, but they made you better and you look back appreciating that.
1: Hey, this is Tyler. Oftentimes, business owners and entrepreneurs hire me because they are stuck. Their business is stuck. They've hit a wall and can't take their business to the next level. And they're frustrated. When I grew my second business, it took me a while to get the pieces to fit. But once they did, the business scaled fast. In fact, it grew to $25 million in annual revenue and ultimately sold for eight figures. So I decided to put together a roadmap for scaling a business. I want to help stuck business owners that want to scale, but are having challenges. It's called the Scale in 5 roadmap, and you can get a copy by doing the following. Text the number 55444 and type the word scale and hit send. A copy of the roadmap will be sent to your inbox. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
0: Were they the ones that were amoebas without a backbone? Were they the ones that allowed you to get along with stuff because they wanted to be liked? Or are they the ones that had high standards and encouraged and supported you to meet those and you knew that, yeah, it was harder to work with those people, but they made you better and you look back appreciating that.
1: So in regards, uh, Sean, to the remote workforce, I noticed you you mentioned it a little bit earlier in the conversation. Do we approach a remote workforce any differently than if people are in-person to have a great culture? What are your thoughts around that?
0: I think that you know, here in the next year or so, that's going to continue to be the $64,000 question because yeah. with the move from in-person a couple of years ago to completely remote and now moving back, and I think we're going to find that kind of balance in some type of hybrid environment in a number of different industries absolutely there are going to be challenges involved with the distance that is created, whether that is loneliness in terms of workers and feeling connected, whether that is the communication issues and what are the platforms we're going to use to stay involved and make sure that there's no, you new know, balls being dropped along the way with different projects. I think that it only makes that much more important the focus upon those same five elements that I think are key to building any culture and making it more profitable and positive. And that is, Are you that much more clear on the goal and what we're here to do together and what needs to be accomplished? Have you really taken the time to invest in building connections with the people who you're going to expect to collaborate? Because collaboration is always going to be built on the foundation of an existing relationship. I'm far more willing to reach out to you if we have an existing relationship and I know who you are and what you're like a little bit And I'll ask questions a whole lot more easily and feel a lot more safe if we've got that trust built from an established connection. And so what I tell teams that do have a remote workforce is it's even more important to at very least annually, what are you doing to bring those people together, to give them a chance to build a familiarity and build a relationship and establish trust and learn personality styles and build conversations and connections among your team so that when they are in different areas of the country or of the world, that they can have that much more of an effective interaction because of those connections you've helped to establish.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Now, you've mentioned trust a couple times. What are some good examples that a leader, or business owner, CEO, executive, how can they build that trust? What are steps that they can do to initiate that trust of building it?
0: That is a fantastic question. I think that, uh, again, as you think about the impact and and the need that hybrid and and remote work is going to place on leaders. I think building trust is a huge issue and is going to be something that's very important for for teams and organizations to focus on because trust is not just a familiarity with somebody. Trust is a willingness and a feeling of safety. I think that there's three things that contribute to trust. I kind of talk about it in my my keynotes about trust being a three-legged stool and people will put their weight on you If all three of those legs are strong, if not, they're going to hesitate. And the first leg is going to be, are you competent? Can you do the job that you were hired to do? Have you demonstrated to your team, to your leaders, to your people that you can do well what you were actually hired to do, what you're tasked to do? Do you deliver good work or they have to go back and and re-look at and edit certain things? Can they trust that the work you're doing is competent and professional? The second thing is, do you have concern for others? Are you in it kind of for what's easiest for you? Or do you make sure that you do what the team needs and you go over and above what's convenient to make the commitment to do what's necessary? That idea of concern for others, do you care enough to take the initiative to do things that you know will be helpful for team members, maybe when they're struggling or need some support? Do you take the initiative to reach out and check in on different people? That idea of being concerned for others is honestly where I dropped the ball early on as a leader. And then finally, the idea of kept commitment, not just showing up on time to meetings, which is obviously something that's very important to show respect for your team. Not just having the project or the paperwork in on time, but keeping commitments such as psychological safety. You know, Google did a, a study a few years ago, Project Aristotle, very interesting. They found that the number one trait factor in effective teams was something they called psychological safety. Did people feel that they could share their ideas or take risks in conversations with their team without feeling consequenced or punished for that in some way? And I think that's a huge part of that commitments we need to keep to our team is some of those unspoken commitments are. You should feel safe to share your ideas and to offer your perspective because that's going to be what makes us stronger as a team is the diverse perspectives that other people and backgrounds bring. So I think those are the three things that if you are competent and if you show concern for others and if you show consistency in keeping the commitments that you make, especially the small commitments. Those are three things that will absolutely build trust. And if you don't have a trusting relationship, if you know that trust is broken with somebody on your team or with a client, it's pretty quick for you to identify which of those three areas do you need to focus on demonstrating the strength of that leg so that you can rebuild some of the trust you may have lost.
1: Yeah, very cool. I've got a couple more here for you. I wanted to talk a little bit about occasionally... Bad employees, I guess I'll say. Bad employees get through the front gate and they get on your team. And oftentimes that can be in the vetting process, the interviewing process. What are some things that we can do in the interviewing process maybe to help make sure we get the right fit? People that are going to fit into the culture have the same goals in mind that they're going to make the team successful. Any thoughts on how we could approach that?
0: Yeah, hiring and onboarding is a huge part of building a team. And, and, you know, back to the basketball analogy that I'm very comfortable with. Yeah, I talked with a couple of college coaches years and years ago, Tyler, and a college coach once told me, you know, if if we're recruiting a guy and we don't get him and he's a good guy, he's going to beat us maybe once or twice a year when we play him in our, in our conference. But if I'm recruiting a guy and he's not a good guy and we do get him, he's going to beat us all year long from the inside. And I think that that makes it so much more important as a leader. You know, Sometimes there's that urgency of we got to have somebody. Well, there's so much contract work and so much gig work out there now that you can probably take care of some things until you know that you've vetted somebody and done a great job of making sure that they fit your culture. Again, a strategy is what you want done. Culture is going to always determine how well your people do it based upon their relationships and their empathy and their sense of commitment to that goal. And so I think that the idea of, you know, A, vetting that person and making sure they fit your culture and having not just those conversations, but can you bring them on for uh, an extended contract period, a trial period of 90 days to make sure that they fit, not just in terms of competence but in terms of culture and connections and interactions that they're going to need to have when they collaborate with other members of the team. I think one of the most powerful things that I learned in terms of the interview process, and this will be helpful helpful for some of your audience members, in the midst of the interview, one of the most powerful questions I think you can ask are about, tell me about a time when things didn't go well for you and your team. And they'll give you a brief explanation. And then the follow-up to that is really, really insightful. All right, so if something like that were to happen again, what would need to happen? Now, here's where your antenna go up. Because as soon as you ask what would need to happen the next time that type of challenge occurred, is the prospect, is the interviewee, are they going to point at somebody else and say, it will Bob needs to, or Susie needs to, or somebody else should have? Or are they going to point at themselves and take ownership of what they could do better? Because that's what you want on your team is who's going to take ownership of being a solution instead of pointing a finger and blaming or, or trying to you know, push that off on someone or someone you know, somewhere else. I think that that blaming and excusing can absolutely contribute to that toxic culture you want to stay away from.
1: Yeah. That word ownership, you know, we haven't used it too much today, but that's a big part, don't you think? Whether that be the owner or the staff or the team owning whatever their respective area is. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. That kind of sets the foundation for the culture, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, if you can, you know, before I did the staying coachable, it's, you know, thank you for opening the door. <laughs> My second book was The 10 Commandments of Winning Teammates. And yeah. I think that as leaders and as teammates, as coworkers, There's a huge difference between somebody that shows up each day as an employee and somebody that shows up each day as an owner who really cares about what they're trying to accomplish and the experience that the people around them are having based upon their behaviors and how they show up. And one of the things that I think is incredibly important for anybody to be a winning teammate is to take personal responsibility for the team results. Again, what does the team need? What part of my leadership Led to that result, and how can I be better in the next opportunity so that our team experiences a little bit more success?
1: Yeah, very cool. You used a phrase I've heard coaching is not punishing. Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, how does sometimes think get perceived as punishing, and then where does coaching fit into that? The more calm, better approach, I would say.
0: I think the word coaching can sometimes be misconstrued, a lot like culture. you know, If you ask somebody what culture is or what engagement is or what coaching is, you may get 10,000 different right. responses. And what you do as a coach and working with clients to help them to scale and to grow their businesses is largely going to be asking questions and leading them through a system and a process that you've seen has been successful. So coaching, I think, is different from mentoring because coaching is oftentimes how can I use questions to draw out with my curiosity and help you to find the answers that you need to find so your insights become the catalyst for your action. I think mentoring is a little bit of coaching peppered with, here's my experience. This is the process or the system that I've built that I know you can plug yourself into and get out the other end being 10 times, 20 times more successful and accelerate your growth. But the idea that coaching sometimes can be a feedback conversation is, I think, where you're kind of going in that sense of providing good feedback meaningful feedback. Sometimes, you know, it takes a long time for people to recognize that the greatest gap filler going to them the furthest in their careers, professionally or personally, is going to be negative feedback. And we don't like to hear negative feedback. It hurts, Oh, that song. Yeah. But it's also the only thing that's going to move you significantly further ahead is by increasing your awareness of those things that you're not doing or those things you're doing that are sabotaging your success. And I think that somebody who is willing, I used to share this with players who were teenagers and they didn't always get it, and I think it's the same way with co-workers that we have in our offices. Sometimes the absolute best friend you could have is willing to tell you the uncomfortable truth. Acquaintances, people that don't really care about you, you know, they'll tell you the comfortable lie. But it's people that really care about your performance and your development, and you know, I'm willing to say something to risk you not liking me a little bit, so that you respect me and know that I love you enough to make you uncomfortable for a moment, so you're better far further.
1: Yeah, got down to two questions. I've got a couple fun ones. All right, is there any uh, professional sports team? Since you're a former basketball coach, former uh, sports coach, is there any professional team that you recognize as they seem to have really their culture down? They really kind of follow the process of having a great culture. Is there anybody that sticks out for you? And that may be hard because it's from the outside, but from your perception.
0: One of the stories that I share in some of my keynotes, Tyler, is about North Carolina basketball. Mm. And obviously being a basketball fan, you know, there are other sports and, 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 and other, you know, professional and college and even international that you could probably point to. There are a number of great examples of, of culture and leadership. But one thing that always struck me with North Carolina is the grandfather of North Carolina basketball, of course, is Dean Smith. Right. And, you know, all the way down the line, you've had those Dean Smith disciples who have continued to maintain and add to, but really the backbone of the culture at North Carolina and, and that kind of baby blue uh, culture is all based upon Dean Smith's teachings. And one of the absolute amazing things that he incorporated into that culture speaks to the last thing that I think all leaders need to do which is just show thanks. And they do something called point to the passer. And if you've ever watched a North Carolina basketball game, they do it in games, but they start by having to do it in practices. And Anytime they're scrimmaging, if you score a bucket in practice, the points don't go onto the scoreboard by the manager until the person who scored points to the person that passed them the ball because they wanted to build into their culture that idea that nobody succeeds on their own, that everything that I get to enjoy in terms of my success and adulation and that spotlight moment is because there are unseen people in the shadows or who aren't gonna always get that adulation who contributed to my success. And there have been, as you can imagine, You dozens if not hundreds of North Carolina athletes who have gone on to professional fame there are also a lot of those North Carolina athletes that are professionals somewhere else and have families and backgrounds and have built a whole different life outside of basketball once they left college but that idea of appreciating the people who contribute to our success. You know, every job's valuable, but not every job is visible. And that sense of helping people feel seen for their contributions is a huge part of building a positive culture.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a mic drop moment when you you share that story. That's a good one. I mean, it just, it, it speaks volumes, right? Uh, just just pointing at the person that helped you score or gave you the pass to score. That's a good one. Last question. I always love to end with a business or a life tip. You obviously have a world of experience, a lot of things to share. Is there something you can give us that we can apply to our business or life that can make us better?
0: I think one of the most important things I learned in my journey when I first started off, Tyler, I thought I was confident. I'd had some success as a JV coach, you take over. It turns out that confidence was probably more arrogance at the time. You know, if confidence is thinking you can help, arrogance is thinking you don't need help. And I think that the progression of a leader starts with maybe a little bit of false confidence that is really arrogance. But that arrogance needs to eventually transform into humility. And humility is being willing to ask for and accept help. That's one of the things that helps us to stay coachable. That's one of the things that helps to accelerate us as a leader to improve our awareness of ourselves and the impact that our behaviors are having on our team is how humble are you and how willing are you to find mentors and to ask for assistance and advice that will move you forward more rapidly and effectively.
1: Very cool. Good stuff. Your latest book is Staying Coachable. Great book, by the way. I bought a copy. I went through it. A lot of good stuff in there. But you have multiple books. I almost feel, feel like we could have another episode on how you are able to write so many great, qual- high-quality books. I bought three of your books, just so you know. I read the staying coachable. Well, I need to go through more thoroughly and read them uh, front page to last page. I just kind of flipped through the other two, but I want to read them uh, more in depth. But they're really good stuff. You've got a lot of wisdom there.
0: Thank you very much for that. And uh, yeah, each of my books is is a parable. I wanted to make sure it was not just kind of an entertaining story, but there are some nuggets of wisdom that the readers could apply to their team, to their business, even to their families and their own personal lives. And so that that means a great deal that you invest in the books and I hope that you found some value.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I'll put this in thinktyler.com, my website, in the show notes. Your website is great results teambuilding.net. I'll say that again. Great results, teambuilding.net. If anybody wants to go there, check, check out Sean. Anywhere else you'd like people to go if they want to reach out to you or talk with
0: you? Yeah, Great Results Team Building is the company that I built first doing team building and team events and then obviously doing some of the speaking and writing. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. LinkedIn, obviously, Sean Glaze. Twitter, at Lead Your Team. Would be more than happy to, if anybody wanted to reach out just to have a quick conversation, talk about what I could do maybe to help their team. I would be thrilled to do that. And thank you so much for having me on, Tyler.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Sean. And I'd love to have you. For some reason, I feel you have another book in you. I have a feeling you're not done. So when you have your next one, maybe come on back and we can have another conversation.
0: That would be fantastic.
1: Okay. Have a great one. Take care. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business.